listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. one of the things that was so frustrating to me was this idea that uh, a person could be enlightened. I'd been so uh, taken with how that never seemed to be the case. Even the most, what we might consider to be enlightened folks seem to, you know, screw up now and again or they, you know, just who is it that is enlightened? And then when you read the literature about you know, how the Buddha um, was able to mystically and magically you know, let light shoot out of his eyebrows and stuff like that, I mean, I just remember thinking to myself, you know what, there's this magical stuff that I just don't get. And then I heard that, uh, I heard that the my teacher's teacher once said, strictly speaking, there are no enlightened people. There are only enlightened actions. And that there was something that kind of clicked in me that was like, oh, okay, well that I can, <laughs> I, can, I, can I can attach to that. <laughs> and I did. That made sense to me. Intellectually, that made sense. That there is, uh, there are no enlightened people. There are only enlightened actions. That means then that everybody is, in one way or another, to varying degrees, enlightened during their day. Maybe I could work on that. Maybe I could try to be as enlightened as possible. And if I could just hit maybe say, you know, twenty, thirty percent, I'm, I'm doing all right. If anybody's hitting 20 or 30 percent, you know, they're third of a Buddha. That's, that's, that's pretty good. Um, and that helped carry my practice for years. That this idea of, uh, you know, what is, what is awakening or what is an enlightened being? An enlightened being is someone who is the embodiment of an appropriate response to any situation, an appropriate response. They're not about control. They're about support. In any situation, they're not about controlling a situation or managing a situation or fixing a situation. Instead, they're about supporting consciousness. And that's not something you do, really. You don't do that. You just kind of allow that to express itself. So this appropriate response, then, is our wisdom meeting the world.
our wisdom that we are all interconnected, that all things are temporary, that we can't control anything. When that then meets the world through our responsiveness, we have compassion. And this compassionate offering, much more than what the mind thinks of as compassionate and then throws on the mask of personality. Well, I'm, I am now being compassionate. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. It's quite wordless and quite effortless. But that really allows for this work to become on some level a certain uh, perfection or perfecting, maybe I should say, of the way we move in the world. A certain shining of character for each and every one of us. And that arises, it matures through us. The more we uncover stillness, the more we meet stillness in our lives. <laughs> the more we sit on our tukases and just quiet down. As my second grade teacher, Mrs. Willis, used to say to me, Michael, sit down and be quiet. That's the work. That's the work, and that's how all enlightened beings start. And it's how all enlightened beings end. Sitting still not only is, in and of itself, an appropriate response, but it also helps foster that stillness, which allows for us to continually offer an appropriate response to what is. It informs our dynamic participation in a world that needs our dynamism. Let's be still. spoke a little bit last week about how this begins to settle in our experience of being human. How this practice begins to settle, how it begins to kind of season might be a way of putting it. And that uh, seasoning tends to point out again and again and again that there's uh, nothing that really can be controlled, that outcomes, I should say, cannot be controlled. That nothing is safe. <laughs> that nothing is safe. That there's nowhere to hide. And that in us which is contracted, the small self or the ego, the I, 
doesn't want to hear that. In fact, the eye spends a tremendous amount of energy from the time the eye is developed, right around two years of age or so. Um, or in my case, it's right around 13 months of age with my daughter. She is developing a very strong sense of self. She has learned, she has not learned the word no, but has learned, uh-uh. <laughs> so um, that gets to be very interesting when you see this little self beginning to kind of bubble through the world. We've all gone through this. Indeed, it's actually quite healthy for this self to develop that there is an important uh, scaffolding or structuring that occurs. We build a self, and then we get to a point where we realize all that has been built over all this time cannot support everything we want to be able to carry. And this realization takes on many different forms, but basically, if you're here sitting in this room right now, you probably at some point hit some type of um, uh, metaphorical wall where it's like, you know, something isn't quite right. Maybe lots going good. Maybe everything's going wrong, whatever. Is there some peace in all of this, in the midst of all of this? And the short answer is absolutely. The long answer is absolutely yes, but it takes practice. This is not something that comes to us very naturally, especially after tangling ourselves in separate self or I activity. Call this karma. And this the the, the working definition of karma that we're using is, is not so much, you know, good karma or bad karma as much as it is. Karmic activity is any activity that comes from a separate sense of self. Any activity that I am doing, anything that is about me or that I would consider to be mine is karmic. And what happens is when we act upon that sense of reality, that sense of reality becomes what we might call reified. It becomes stronger, it becomes more powerful, and it gains inertia, it gains momentum. The tangle gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And getting out of this, or becoming free of it, is something that uh, several traditions say, oh, it takes lifetimes. And while that's okay, it sure gives the ego a pass. If it's gonna take lifetimes, hell, you can do whatever the hell you want. Because <laughs> you you'll do it again. You know, you'll just reincarnate, you'll do it again until you get it right. Right? Well, um, if we could retool this a bit for the 21st century, I would say that um, don't fall prey to that trap. Let it happen right now. And it's as simple as recognizing that you have no control and that when the small self believes that it is right, recognize that, that it, when the small self recognizes that it is not only right, but it knows what's right for every other being and every other situation, recognize that. The recognition 
of that activity is our freedom from that activity. And it's the undoing of all that binds us karmically. When we start, in other words, really digging into studying this thing we call a self, and we start looking at the operating system, to use a computer metaphor, looking at the operating system of the self, we start finding bugs. And we start, you know, if we start doing that whole thing, it's not about rebooting. It's not about, you know, uh, uh, hitting restart or unplugging it and then plugging it back in. Oh, my connection's back. No, it's, 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 it's deeper than that. It's, it's recognizing that this entire process is free from constraint. That we are not bound by anything except our own clinging. That's it. And so our way out of this clinging is to see the clinging. And that is one thing that we have control over. That's one thing. Maybe control is a bad word. Maybe we could change, change it and say that's one thing where in a participatory sense we can engage fully. We can engage fully in decision-making. We can make choices. And the choices, all they need to center themselves around are what choice might I make here that is going to be generous for all concerned? What choice can I make in this moment that is about letting go as opposed to grasping? What choice could I make here that supports being as opposed to clinging to an outcome. Once we do that, once we begin supporting being, we quite literally, as I just saw Deepak Chopra say, I think it was on a Microsoft commercial or something like that, uh, he said, I'm a human being not a human doing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. This being sense, just being, is prior to the passage of time. Therefore, it is eternal. This being, I'll say that again, this being that all of us share equally, every one of us in this room, we're being right now. That being, that being is prior to time. Because from that place of being, we can sense time. Being can experience time as an object. It can experience feelings as an object. It can experience thoughts 
as objects. So that which can experience all this stuff as objects is in some miraculous way a much bigger subject. Everything happens within this expanse, if you will, of being. Everything arises from and into this expanse we call being. And when we really are human beings, we are absolutely and totally free from the tangle. We're absolutely and totally free from the mess. We are absolutely and totally comfortable in the chaos, in the fear. We're totally comfortable there. So that fear arises, oh, that's fear. We're not caught by it. Happiness arises, wow, happiness. And we're not caught by it. And when I say caught by it, I mean like, oh, I want more of that. Instead, it just becomes this endless play in front of us in front of what is true in us, in front of what is eternal, in front of what never dies. And then in this space, as we start to practice kind of bringing that peace into the world, we suddenly find ourselves in the midst, perpetually, of appropriate response. We find ourselves in the midst of feeling absolutely and totally comfortable in everything that we cannot control. It reminds me of this dokusan I was in uh, a few years back and this blessed teacher was she was sitting there and she and I were, were having this uh, this interview that went on and on and on it really took a while and I, I was noticing it's like man she's holding this this full lotus for a long time and then as I as I bowed out you know I was getting getting ready to leave she goes she goes oh. <laughs> and she goes she goes McAllister you better hurry up on this process. I don't know how much longer my body's going to last. <laughs> oh, this is precious, precious moment. Anyway, how'd it go? Tricky. What? Tell me about that. Tell me about that. How is it? How is it tricky? Trying not to say I. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Trying to say a thought, but it it was a feeling. Uh huh. Well, I guess that. How about this? Feelings are a form of thought. Okay. Feelings, in other words, register within the mind. Okay, and then they're compartmentalized and categorized and labeled. Thoughts register within the mind. They're compartmentalized, categorized. You know, so we tend to create this separation between, between our feelings and our thoughts. But from the perspective of being, which observes all these things come up, they're all thoughts. Yeah. Right? I remember one time you said, when, when someone says, I, well, I have a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. I said, that's just a 
they really want to do it, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, people can uh, really kind of confuse, you know, they say, well, my intuition says, and, and intuition, while it is, it is a sense experience and can really lead us in really cool places, it also can, if we're not careful, can be a thought with a lot of I mixed into it. And clinging. The I is always going to be, or the small self, a lot of small self mixed into it. A lot of small self is always going to be clinging and always is desperate to be right. And so that gut feeling might basically just be, I have a really hard thought. Yeah. 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 It's actually nice to be outside of the constraints of formal conversation where you feel like you always have to fill in the gap. Yeah, it's very powerful, isn't it? Being able to to have, uh, I had someone refer to this kind of uh, meeting once as as um, deep communication, the kind of communication. It's not superficial. It's let's be real together, because Claire wants us to be. For <laughs> For teasing you, <laughs> but let's be very real together for just twelve minutes. Let's not hide. Let's 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 be this practice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for giving us extra time. Any time, Claire. That was not filled with. Yeah. It was, it yeah, you get to be with each other. If any of you have ever uh, experienced a loved one who is sick, being with them is the most powerful thing. The most powerful thing. Being with being with, that's it, you know, holding a hand, you know, or really seeing, or as you guys have said, really hearing somebody. All we really want is to be seen or to be heard. That establishes and reestablishes uh, an intimacy with our life when we feel like we have been heard. Not that necessarily someone agrees with us, although the ego loves that, because then it's right. But, but to be heard and to be seen, to be met fully in this simple experience of birth and death. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, I enjoyed the idea of skipping over I to get to we right away. And, uh... Part of this also, what's good for me, was to try on the feelings of the others mm. after hearing them. And so, isn't that interesting? Fun and a little bit contagious. Yeah. Yeah. Can Can you help t- tell me a little bit about that trying on the feelings of others? I well, really think well, that's well, a neat way to put it. Uh, peacefulness, calmness, and so yeah, that fits. That works. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Another one said awkwardness. Yeah. Confusion. 
Okay, I get that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're touching on something huge here, which is why I wanted you to play that out. And, um, and that is that among the most contagious things that any of us can meet up with is someone else's unconsciousness. The only thing that can be, and it depends on context here, but the only thing that can be more contagious than that is someone's consciousness. So when we find, I don't know if you've noticed this in your, in your day-to-day, but when someone is really coming at you with a lot of unconsciousness, mean they're, meaning they're clinging. You know, it's that simple. They're clinging to something. And it may involve you directly or indirectly or whatever, but man, when you find somebody that's coming at you with clinging, the most natural thing for us to do, because the ego must be right, is to cling back. Oh yeah, screw you. You know, right? But... When you meet someone who is in a place of total openness and you have the courage to meet them as they are, as the situation is, there is a beautiful conflagration that occurs. And that's, that's how we, <laughs> that's how we, that's how we let the teaching through us. You know, that's ultimately, then everything becomes practice discussion. Everything becomes dokusan. You know, the whole idea of dokusan is for, um, I, I love this metaphor. It's like when you have a, a log that's burning and you have another log that's kind of burning, but not quite at the same, at the same rate, okay? And you put that, the, the, the lighter burning uh, log next to the, higher burning log, guess what happens? A bigger fire happens. And so what we do is we put ourselves in situations where we can meet with our full attention, our full attention, we can meet that fire. And let it burn, Dudley. Let it burn within you. Just keep stoking it by trying other people's feelings on. You know, just let it in. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the great talk last Saturday. Oh, great! Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, that was fun for me. I was speaking at a uh, an, an ITP group, stands for Integral Transformative Practice, and um, it's just so. I was I was talking about the the difference energetically was so profound because when we meet here on Monday nights, I always feel like there's kind of this settled calm that at times can border on sleepiness. And I met with this ITP group on a Sunday morning. Everybody had had their coffee, their tea, and they're like, take us for a ride. Where are we going? How does this say it was really, really cool. Uh, we had a really neat talk too. It was, uh, it was, I feel really fortunate to uh, have met all of you guys. You're a neat, neat group. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. I have a question, but I'm not sure quite what it is. But it, it has to do with when, like you were, you were saying the example of meeting somebody who's clinging and your uh, a frequent response is to cling back. 
but um, and when you meet somebody open and try to respond with the openness because mm-hmm. that all works much better but I think the, the hard part is the you're that clinging individual that you're up against <coughs> and you're trying to respond openly openly <laughs> maintaining your not get caught right by their so so is the question then how is it that we yeah, how, how don't get how can we not get caught by someone else's unconsciousness right that uh it's 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 actually fairly simple to say mm-hmm. and that is turn up the heat on your practice in that moment at that, when someone comes at you with their unconsciousness, mm-hmm. that's when you really have to be awake to what's going on, what's really going on. And what's really going on is that they're tapping into some deep unconsciousness, perhaps. At that point, you have to become more conscious of that. And this allows your response to become one that isn't about an outcome. It's not about grasping. It's, not a, it's, it's about being comfortable in the fact that this whole situation is temporary. This whole situation is still a divine manifestation of the infinite. This whole situation is an opportunity for me to practice. It's perfect. Now your response might be a very vocal no because it's the most generous thing for them and for you it might be, you might be saying no or uh-uh or exactly or uh-uh <laughs> da 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 uh-uh yeah it might be that it might be <laughs> but the point of this is it's coming from your response is coming from a place of absolute and total love it's not coming from a place of negotiation oh yeah well they're going to take this from me and if they take this and i want to you know you don't you don't get caught by that karmic knot sometimes it's not though about me it's just the person is seemingly so negative or so you know that whole and the only reason why it bugs you is because they are a manifestation of that negativity that shows itself within you uh-huh. so what we do is we make friends with that we make friends with their their uh, negativity i had a practice discussion with someone this is this is a couple of years ago and they came in and said we were on retreat and they came in and they sat down and they started to kind of clench their fists and rock back and forth. And they said, th- they said two words, George Bush. <laughs> and they started to cry. They just started to cry. And I just sat there and met the experience as best I could. As best I could, just met the experience. And then they started talking. And they started talking about, you know, He's so confident. He's so confident that he's right. And that's not right. You know? And it kept unfolding and unfolding that this person was basically getting mad and in turn weeping 
for themselves. And I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to say anything. It wasn't George Bush. It was I, 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 I. Me, mine, mine, me. Okay? So do you just let this person talk? What's the appropriate response? I can't answer that for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe you let him talk. Maybe you don't. Maybe you say, don't you dare. I don't know. It depends. It depends. But you've you, got to have... Do you comment? That sounds very negative. <laughs> that might be an appropriate response. I mean, I'm not trying to play games with yeah, you here, but that yeah. really might be, it's, you know? That sounds so negative might come off as that sounds so judgmental. Uh -huh. And that could be unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. You just want to be as aware as possible. And the, I mean, the old trick psychologically is to use I messages. That really hurts when you say that. That hurts me. Bring it. You have to be aware to state your reality in that moment, especially if there's someone you love. You know? But you have to. You make it, make it referential. You have to, you have to be profoundly ensconced in this, I, this, this point of, of being in order to be able to respond without anger or anything else, without getting caught by their energetic frequency. You know? But that is this practice. That's why there are no enlightened beings. There are enlightened actions. You ready? Give it your best shot. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Mm -hmm.